Let's begin reading together. Matthew chapter 5, I'll read verses 1 and 2, and you join me as we read the rest of the Beatitudes together. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I've really enjoyed how the Lord has worked to dovetail this series on Wednesday nights through alongside of what we're looking at on Sunday mornings in the book of Acts. And I'd like to claim that it was through my just master planning and organization of all the messages, but it really hasn't been. It's just been as the Lord is leading and directing, and we've just been working through Acts for quite a while now, but to see in the beginning of Acts how our Wednesday night messages, we were able to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and and see that at work. And now as we're into some of the difficult times as their ministry is going forward, but as they're facing persecution, we've had some opportunity to study what Christ says about this here in the Beatitudes. Again, not to uh, go over something too many times, but to remind you, I want to set the stage once again for where Christ was as He gave this special passage of Scripture. It wasn't Scripture at the time. It was recorded later as Scripture, but as He gave this live for the audience that was in front of Him. If you notice back in verse number 1, He saw all the multitudes around Him. And so He went up into this mountain, and then when He got set, He sat down. Notice who came first. His disciples came unto Him. So picture it, right? Christ is sitting there. His disciples are nearby right close around his feet, and then going on down from there is all this multitude of people that have come to hear this sermon. And if you go back to the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 4, look at verse number 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, think about this, right? These are some of the men, Peter, Andrew, and uh, James and John that are gathered in that group of disciples. When Jesus went to them, He just said, Come and follow Me. And they left their nets, followed Him. They got up and they went with Him. 
Do you think that these men fully understood what it meant to follow Jesus when Jesus just said, follow me? I don't think that they did. I think all they heard was this man who they perceived had something special about him who came to him and just said, follow me. And so they did. But now as Jesus is preaching this message there on, this, on the mountainside, he's explaining in greater depth what it means to follow Jesus. And his message is a difficult message. I think for Christians, for maybe you and me, sometimes we think, well, following Jesus, that's, that's easy, that's simple. Everybody should follow Jesus, and everybody will follow Jesus. Why wouldn't everybody be following Jesus? But the more you learn about following Jesus, I think the more you realize why a lot of people don't want to follow Jesus. And in a way, this is how Jesus' message is structured here. He begins with these general statements. Those who blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But now as we get down to the last two verses, Jesus focuses in, moves from the third person, this general address to the audience as a whole, to a focused, blessed are ye. It's as if he's taken his eyes off the multitude and he's looking right down here at the disciples. But sometimes when we hear the Word of God, I think we hear it sort of addressed to the masses, right? Well, God's speaking. That was great. We heard from God. But do you understand the difference between when you just sat in a message and, oh, that was a good message. That was great. Amen. But when all of a sudden God comes and, and He speaks directly to you, and He gets really personal, and as we might say in our modern vernacular, up in your business, and you go, whoa, this is real. See, the Word of God isn't just a collection of really nice thoughts and good principles that, you know, sound good to hear. The Word of God is quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharp, and it, it speaks right down to the individual place where we live. And if we treat God's Word as if it's just this sort of big, general, nice idea, I think we can sort of take it or leave it. And that's what many of the people on the mountainside did that day. They, some heard, some followed, some rejected, some went away. But Jesus looks at his disciples, and he gets really specific with them about what it means to follow him. That's the first point I really want you to see tonight, it, that you will pay a price to follow Jesus. If you go back and look at the verses I just read there in Matthew chapter 4, we see that they had to leave their nets to follow Jesus. They left behind their occupation. They left behind the things that they had relied upon to provide for their needs. And now they were going to have to rely upon Jesus to provide for their needs. Now, it doesn't mean that following Jesus means you automatically have to quit your job. Because we read throughout Scripture, even Paul the Apostle, he goes and he... He uh, mends or, or he build, makes tents. He works. It, there was still work going on. This isn't just saying, well, follow Jesus. Just quit your job and sit aside and do nothing. In fact, we read that verse last week about if you don't work, you shouldn't eat there. He wrote to the Thessalonians. It's good to work. It's good to provide for your family. Don't miss the point here. What he's saying is following Jesus means I'd be willing to give up everything for him. Not only did they leave their nets, but you read there in verse number 20, 
1 and 22, they left their families. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were fishing with Zebedee. I don't know about you, but growing up in church and Sunday school, I heard about, you know, the son of Zebedee, the son of Zebedee all the time. Well, this is Zebedee, the, the man himself. He was the guy that taught him to fish. He was the guy that took him out on the boat. He was the guy that they went with day after day after day. This was a family business. They walked away from their livelihood, and they walked away from their families. Doesn't mean that they hated fishing. It doesn't mean that they hated their dad. This meant that they were choosing to follow Jesus. See, you will pay a price to follow Jesus. And some people, when they look at the price that's required to follow Jesus, they say, I don't want to pay that price. But I would encourage you, as I think Jesus over and over encouraged His disciples, He just said, follow me. Often we like to think through all the long-term consequences. Well, if I follow Jesus, then it's going to look like this or that, or I'm going to lose this, or I'm going to lose that, or this isn't going to happen, or this isn't going to work out. Therefore, I'm going to make a decision that it's better to not follow Jesus because following Jesus looks really hard. And what I'm thankful about the example that we see in Scripture is that He's made all these promises that if you'll follow me, that I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. If you walk with me, I'll provide for all your needs. I'll take care of you every step of the way. He says His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So yes, following Jesus will cost you something. You will pay a price to follow Jesus, but He's always with us to walk through that with us so that we, He never asks us to pay something that He's not willing and able to provide something far greater than what He's asked us to give up. He said, I want you to give up your life to follow Me, but I'm going to give you eternal life. He says, I want you to forsake your old ways and, and the things of this flesh and instead walk in the Spirit. Now that sounds too hard. I don't want to walk in the Spirit. Why? Because it's easier to walk in the flesh. It's natural to walk in the flesh. But walking in the Spirit provides the guidance and the direction and the help and the peace that passes all understanding that walking in the flesh can never give you. So I don't want to discourage you tonight. I want to challenge you tonight. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. Even after Jesus' message here in Matthew chapter 5, they didn't fully understand what Jesus meant by this. Later, James and John asked Jesus for positions of authority in His kingdom. Remember, they had their mom come and say, hey, can my sons get a place of authority? prominence on the right hand and left hand in your kingdom? Jesus says, it's not mine to give, but you don't even know what you're asking. The disciples were waiting for Jesus to take over, to set up His kingdom and rule. Instead, He told them over and over, it would be difficult to be a disciple of Jesus. This would mean verbal abuse. It would mean persecution. It would mean defamation. Look back at our text in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. That's defamation, lying about you. 
He said, you're blessed. Why? Well, look, he says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. See, the hardships wouldn't go away if they followed Jesus. Rather, they would intensify. And then at the end of verse 12, he throws in that statement. Well, they also did this to the Old Testament prophets. Now, to you and me, we might not feel the, quite the same measure of encouragement that these disciples would have felt. But think about it. These disciples, these were Jewish men. These were men who knew about the Old Testament prophets. They revered the Old Testament prophets. They loved to talk about Elijah and Jeremiah and Amos and Obadiah, these Old Testament prophets and all of their great works that they had done for God. And Jesus reminds them, even the Old Testament prophets had to suffer. I'll give you, I, uh, there's so many instances of this, but let me just give you a few. In 1 Kings 19, verse 1 through 4, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. This is right after um, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. Then all the prophets and priests of Baal are put to death. And look at verse number 2. It says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel's coming after him. Persecution, right? When he saw that he arose and went for his life, he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, you know that Old Testament prophet Elijah that you Jews really look to and that you love, that we look back to as a great uh, a great champion for the faith. Well, he was persecuted too. And he didn't take it very well. He was ready to die. We don't worship Elijah. We worship God. Yes, Elijah gives us some great examples of what to do. He also gives us some great examples of what not to do. He's just a man. Jesus says, I even persecuted the Old Testament prophets. So if, they, if, if even the Old Testament prophets weren't above persecution, then why do you think you're above persecution? Hey, Christian, today, if these Old Testament prophets who could perform such incredible miracles call down fire from heaven, if they could experience persecution, then why do you think you shouldn't experience See, it, it costs something to follow Jesus. You will pay a price to follow Jesus. And try to, to try to pretend that there's no price to pay is just ignoring the clear evidence and facts of Scripture. To give you another one in uh, Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 8, it said, Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak, and all the people that the priests and the prophets of all and all the people took him saying, Thou shalt surely die. Wow, it's great to be a prophet in Jeremiah's day. Even the spiritual people 
say, we're going to kill you. Now, they weren't spiritual in the right sense, but they were religious. These were the church people of the day. We're going to kill you, Jeremiah. Wow. Verse 9, Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. They had a big meeting at the temple. All the religious people, and it was to persecute the only one of all of them that was doing right. Amazing to think that even a church claiming to do things in the name of God could get together and try to kill the one who's actually doing right. Hey, it happened to Jeremiah, so don't be surprised if it happens to you. How about uh, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They took a stand for the Lord. They didn't bow to the idol. What happened to them? They got thrown in the fiery furnace. See, we like that story because we know that they got out of the furnace. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know they were going to get out of the furnace when they were thrown into the furnace. All they knew was it was hot. But they knew that God was able to deliver them. Daniel chapter 6. All Daniel's doing is praying to God three times a day, morning, noon, and night, like he always did. And he gets thrown in the lion's den. Once again, we love this story. We even teach it to our children. What kind of crazy people are we? We teach our kids these stories about people getting thrown in with lions? Isn't that awful? It's gruesome? Well, it's a great story because he gets out of the lion's den. That probably wouldn't be in the children's Bible storybook if, if the end of the story was, and Daniel was eaten by the lion. You know? eh. We don't want to discourage our kids, right? It's in there because we say, no, look at God. He closed the lion's mouth. But think about it. If you're Daniel, you don't know that God's going to close the lion's mouth when you're thrown in the den. You think about it in our situation, right? As you choose to follow God, you say, it's going to be a great price. I don't know if I can pay, make the payment. Daniel might have thought, I don't know if I'm going to survive the lion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't know if we're going to survive the fiery furnace. Jeremiah, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I speak up for the Lord. Elijah, I don't know what's going to happen. In fact, I think at that moment, Elijah believed Jezebel more than he believed God, and he ran for his life. That's where we live, right? But God is able. Let me read you one more, Amos chapter 7. This is a lesser known prophet, the prophet Amos. It says in chapter 7, verse 10, Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. Also Amaziah said to Amos, O thou seer, Go, flee thou away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not against any more Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. The king owns this place. You better watch out, Amos. He's coming to kill you. We don't like persecution. It costs something to follow Jesus. You have to be willing to pay the price to follow None of us like this. 
and let's enjoy it. We like to be on the winning team, and we like for everybody else to be cheering for our team with us. And the moment somebody's cheering against you or against your team, even if you're on what you think is the winning team, it's still discouraging. Alan and I know what that's like. This is a great illustration. I, I was just so glad after last night that we got to sit through last night because of what I knew I was preaching tonight. So last night, my brother and I did something that we'd never done before, and we may never do again, but uh, we went to the World Series game. And we sat up in the top and in the nosebleed seats, and we watched our poor team just get trashed. And it was, it was, it was demoralizing. It was discouraging. But the thing that made it awful was we had these two drunk Braves fans sitting in the seat right in front of us. And every time the Braves did anything, they'd jump up and they'd get in our face and they'd shout and yell and make faces and hand gestures. And, and they'd, they'd scream at us. I mean, like right up here in my face. And the whole time you're just ready to... Your pastor almost spent the night in jail. I just, I want, you know, you just were fired up because it's your team, you know. And afterwards, I was thinking about it, you know, isn't it funny? This is how hard it is for us to deal with persecution because this is just over a baseball team. It doesn't even matter. And it gets us all fired up. I mean, it was so intense. We had, this is true, you can ask out. We had other fans coming down and sitting next to us. Like, Man, if I was there, I would have just punched his lights out. And other people were cussing at them and they were cussing them. And this, this whole thing's going on. And I'm like, I just wanted to sit here and cheer for my team, win or lose, and just have a good time. And I couldn't have a good time because these two guys sitting right in front of me. And then they'd turn around and say, oh, it's just all in good fun. It's just all in good fun. We're just trying to have a good time. We just love our team. And I'm thinking, no, it's not in good fun. You're doing it just to make us mad, just on purpose. We don't do well with persecution, even so slight as at a baseball game. I mean, it's amazing. You think these people spent all this money. There's so much money to spend to go to a baseball game, even to sit up in the top. And we face a little bit of, I'll use it loosely, persecution. There was persecution over our baseball team, not for the cause of Christ. And man, we just almost, I just almost couldn't handle it. I thought, man, I don't know if I'm ready to face persecution for the cause of Christ. You ever wonder that too? Like, we, we struggle when it's our baseball team. What are we going to do when it's actually something that really matters? Man, I was just convicted in my heart that this following Jesus thing is hard. And it costs something. And I don't know if I'm always really ready to pay the price. But it is worth it. We're getting there. But we got to get through point two before we get to point three. So number two, you will experience persecution if you faithfully follow Jesus. We already looked at the examples of the prophets. Jesus said there, Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If they persecuted them, they'll persecute you. Paul wrote, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We looked at some of those verses last week. I don't emphasize three areas of persecution. I think that Jesus emphasizes here. Verse number 11, he says, Men shall revile you. I would call that verbal abuse. 
They shall persecute you. That's physical persecution. And he says, and they shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That's defamation. Lying about you. You're trying to do the right thing and someone just lies about you. Well, it's interesting when you study out this topic of persecution, Matthew really wrote a lot about it in his gospel. So I thought gospel was good news. Well, it is good news when you remember there's a great reward, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Hang on. Notice under our first one, verbal abuse, Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to give you some references that you can look up later and read and think about it. It says, likewise, also the chief priests mocking him. Do you know who him was here? It was Jesus. As he's hanging on the cross with the scribes and elders said, he saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the son, king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Imagine Jesus hanging on the cross and he's hearing those words. We know that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. Imagine you hanging on that cross, knowing full well you had plenty of power to come down the, from the cross if you want to. And you have these guys saying, if you'll just come down from the cross, we'll believe on you. And he's hanging on the cross because he chose to hang on the cross. He laid down his life. He could have come right down from the cross and said, okay, I'll prove to you that I can do it. But he didn't do it. Verse 43, they said, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And then it says, the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. They were right up on him, mocking him, verbally abusing him, saying all kinds of awful things about him. And he's up there dying for their sins. He's up there paying the penalty for the people who are mocking him. So when Jesus says that if you'll follow me, you will experience persecution, he knew what he was talking about because he faced it himself. Can you imagine? I mean, if I'm Jesus, and I know I'm not, but if I was there in those shoes, I think I'd say, all right, I'll come down from this cross and I'll show you. You won't be speaking anything against me when I get back to don't you realize I'm up here paying for your sin? My work is sufficient to save you from your sin if you'll trust in me, but I know you never will. Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted at that point, and he chose to suffer and die for their sin. Boy, it costs something to follow Jesus. I think we can see you will experience persecution if you faithfully follow Jesus. There's verbal abuse. I think persecution, this would just be physical assault, painful things that happen. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Sounds a lot like what Paul and Silas did after they faced persecution in Philippi. They, okay, we'll go to Thessalonica. And then the persecution happens in Thessalonica, and then they go to Berea. God used that persecution, we've already looked at this in the book of Acts, to move these men around to the right place at the right time to accomplish the purpose that God had for them. I said, God, isn't there an easier way to move people around? 
We might think so, but this is what God chose to do. About Matthew 5, verse 44, Jesus said, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Boy, this is backwards thinking, too. You talk about upside-down ministry Sunday. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I have to be honest. I didn't pray for the Braves fans last I should be praying for those that are in our government who are against believers. I should be praying for those in our community who would stand against doing right, following the Lord. I should be praying for these people. I don't know about you, but the more I read this, the thing I just sometimes I say, Lord, I think I'm just done now, just ready to go home. I don't want to hear this anymore. This is hard. This is difficult. This is painful stuff, but as we read this and study it, we think these are the words of Jesus Christ. This is what he's told us to do. The more I learn about the Christian life, the more I realize I can't live the Christian life in my own strength. Just can't do it. So many Christians are frustrated because we're trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. You just can't be good enough. You can't suffer enough. You can't deal with all of the pain and the difficulty on your own. You can only do it with the Lord's help. We sang the song Sunday, Lord, I Need You. A couple days ago, I was sitting in my office just preparing for one of the messages I'm going to preach next week at the Equip Conference, and I just said, okay, Lord, I put all the stuff aside, and I just got down on my knees in my office and just prayed, Lord, I need you. I need your help. We can't do this on our own. You, you can't be a good spouse in your own strength. You can't be a, a, a good witness in your own strength for Christ. You, you can't be faithful to follow the Lord in the midst of the world that we live in in your own strength because you will experience persecution. The third one, defamation, lying about you. I don't know if one thing upsets people more than another, but I think being lied about is right up there at the top, especially when what you're being lied about is when you're trying to do the right thing. How about what Jesus said? Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, When the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth, cast out doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Can you imagine being God's son and being told, the miracles you're doing, you're doing it in the name of the devil. Matthew 23, 34, Jesus said, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. You see, this persecution is not because God just doesn't love his children. Why does God allow all this? Or because God just desires to make it hard to be a Christian. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, hmm, how can I make their life harder than it is already? Rather, we see persecution, how it helps to clarify and to sanctify those who are his children. God uses it in our lives to bring about clarity of who the real believers are and to sanctify, to help those believers to grow, to be more like Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ went through it and we're supposed to walk with Jesus, then he may take us through suffering and persecution as well. 
You see, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's a scary thought. If you're not walking with the Lord, if your faith is not in Him, you could be talking about Him, but not really be trusting in Him. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? We're talking about people who have done miracles. We're talking about people who have preached the word of God. We're talking about people who are spiritual leaders. And he says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It's, it's not about, well, I'm going to do all this stuff, and that's going to make me right with God. It's about knowing God through Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with him. See, the persecution works to clarify who the believers are. Because when the persecution comes, those who aren't serious, aren't really walking with the Lord, they'll tend to fade away. It's like the hot water, or the I'm sorry, the, the hot fire burns off all the impurities, and just the gold remains. It also works to sanctify us. Matthew 10, 38 and 39, He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He uses persecution, suffering, defamation, verbal abuse, all these things for the cause of Christ. He uses them to grow us and to change us and to conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. More could be said on these topics, but... We're thinking about this idea of rejoicing in persecution. It, you will pay a price to follow Jesus. You will experience persecution if you faithfully follow Jesus. But notice finally tonight, you can rejoice because of the great reward you will receive for following Jesus. You can rejoice in that. But I want you to notice a couple things about this reward. Go back to Matthew 5. Verse 11 again, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. We've looked at all three of those things. Then he says rejoice and do exceeding glad. It's like he says it twice. Rejoice and be really glad. Be exceeding glad. Why? He says for great is your reward. I'm really looking forward to the great reward that the Lord has for us. But notice where that reward is located. He said it's in heaven. A lot of people that claim to follow Christ are looking for the reward here on earth. He didn't promise that reward. Now, the wonderful thing that's amazing about serving God, He does often give blessings that we get to enjoy here on earth. I want to encourage you tonight. I'm not saying that it's all going to be hard till you get to heaven someday. But there will be hard things until you're in heaven someday. Sometimes we get the wrong view of Christianity and walking with God and think, well, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm walking with Him. Why is my life still hard? Why do I still struggle with sin? 
Why do I have this problem, that problem? You say, well, it's not even worth it. You just give up and quit. But the reward is not here. The reward is there. It's not down here. It's up there. He says, great is your reward in heaven. It's not received here. You see, persecution can easily make one feel that they're a failure. And it can also label you as a failure in the eyes of others. Like when people are lying about you, pretty soon I'm a failure and everybody thinks I'm a failure. So I might as well just be a failure. <laughs> but remember, not just where your reward is, but who is the one giving out the rewards. It's not me. It's not going to happen on the platform of this church. It's not going to happen at your house. It's in heaven, and these rewards are given out by our Heavenly Father. So who do you need to please? Is it me? Is everybody here? Or is it your Heavenly Father? We forget where the reward comes from, or where, where it will take place. It takes place in heaven, and we, and we forget who's giving it. It's the Lord. Serving God and walking with Him, especially when it requires suffering, can feel pointless. Why am I doing all this? Alan and I were talking about this the game last night. Why, what, what are we doing here? We just sit and watch our team lose, and these people make fun of us all night, yell in our face, and you know, they smell bad. But we got we were coming up with ways we get them kicked out and all that stuff. One of them was smoking an e-cigarette which according to the policies at Minute Maid Park is illegal. But he was doing it anyway. And you sit there and you go, we paid a lot of money for these seeds. It was pointless. Well, and then we realize, no, this is great. We're at a World Series game. I'm here with my brother. This is a great once-in-a-lifetime experience. Not the experience I imagined, but it's great in the sense that we're spending time together. We get to do something a lot of people don't ever get to do. Now, I'm so thankful that looking at our great reward in heaven is so much better than going to the World Series game. But think about it in that context, how easily sometimes we shut down as believers because of some persecution, and we forget, wait a minute, it's not pointless. There's a great reward. And our Heavenly Father is going to be the one giving it out. Great is your reward in heaven. That's something we can be exceedingly glad about. That we can rejoice about. Al and I left the game last night and said, well, yeah, we got beat. But you know what? We still have high hopes for tomorrow. We, we just played terrible and we think maybe we could do better. So we have hope. And our hope may be unfounded. They may be getting beat terribly right now. I have no idea whatsoever. And it really doesn't matter. Great is our reward in heaven. Win or lose, the Astros isn't going to change my eternal destination. And hopefully it doesn't even affect my joy that much. Because that's not where my joy is found. I get it. Sometimes serving the Lord when things are difficult, it just feels like, then why am I even doing this? 
Why do I read my Bible if nobody cares? Why do I come to church if nobody ever says thank you? Why, why do I serve in this area or that area? Why do I even keep trying to follow up with that person and witness to my neighbor who doesn't want to even hear? They just kind of keep pushing off. Don't they realize how much I'm working and praying and crying and <laughs> agonizing over trying to do this, and they don't even seem to care? You see, there's great value even in the persecution. It has value to you, right? Why? Because you have a great reward in heaven. It also has value to others because you get to point them to Christ. And if these folks find Jesus, what a blessing. Well, I'm picking on them a lot, but I wasn't really thinking about sharing the gospel with those guys in front of me last night. I was thinking about doing other things to them. But you know, all that aside, if they were to come to Christ and I get to spend eternity in heaven, we wouldn't be worried about the baseball game or the baseball team. We'd just be worshiping at the feet of Jesus and we'd be wonderful brothers in Christ and all that stuff wouldn't matter. You see, it has value to others. When you're willing to suffer and walk with Christ, it matters to your family members. It, it matters to your neighbors, even if they don't appreciate it. It also has value to the body of Christ. The body is built up and encouraged and strengthened. I'm thankful, even just over the past couple of weeks, as we've been preparing and spending a lot of time getting everything ready for this first conference where we're inviting other churches to come. We've never done something like this at our church. It's been exciting. We've had people from, even in the last 24 hours, we've had people from Michigan, from Missouri, from uh, Oklahoma, from Kansas, from all over the country, just even looking at it. I don't know if they'll come or not, but how did they even know to look? That's just interesting to me. It's an exciting opportunity. I talked to the pastor today from Missouri City. Oh, that'd be helpful. I don't know anybody in Houston. He said, I just moved here. We'll come. I'd like to encourage you. It has value to others, has value to the body of Christ, and it also has great value to Christ. Why do we go through suffering? It's not pointless. It has value to Christ. I don't know about you, but when I played on sports teams and it was really tough, it was great to be able to look over and say, man, my teammate's right with me and he's helping me. And yes, this was a hard game, but we can do this together. You know, it's wonderful. Shandy and I talk about things sometimes when, things are challenging or we're trying to help somebody and they're not always as receptive of the help as we're trying to give. But we look at each other and we say, you know, I, I tell her sometimes, I'm just glad I get to do it with you. I'm just glad we get to serve together because it's, it's a blessing to be doing something with your best friend and say, you know, it's worth it. We're walking through these things together. And then I look around our church and say, man, it's great to have people in our church who are all serving together and throwing in together and working to serve the Lord. What a blessing it is to think of, of that and what, what great value there is. And think about how Christ must feel when he looks around and says, yeah, I know they're weak and they're struggling. I'll, I'll help them with that, but they're faithfully serving me. Oh, their life's difficult. I think it has value to Christ when we're willing to suffer for him. It makes his suffering seem less pointless because we're willing to walk with him and face suffering just like he did. I know I've talked a lot about suffering. 
it's not because I feel like I'm suffering that much right now. I, I think I'm doing fine. The Lord's good. He's faithful. He's taking care of us. But it's just fascinating to me how big of a theme this is in Scripture. And I think it's so important to us and where we live and what we do. Rejoicing in persecution. Remember, you will pay a price. There's a price to following Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us that when you follow Jesus, you will experience persecution. But you can rejoice. You can rejoice because there's a great reward in heaven. There's a great reward in heaven. I realize that you may be going through something or have gone through something and people around you, maybe even the people in this room, can't appreciate what you're facing. But the Lord knows. He knows what you feel. He knows what you're struggling with. And He's with you. And His persecution, His sufferings, are even greater than ours. Paul talks about going through persecution and suffering. Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him power of his resurrection and what does he go next from the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death there's a there's a fellowship with jesus that comes when we're willing to walk through difficult times for the cause of christ it's sort of like the fellowship of the cancer survivors or those who are still going through cancer because they've gone through something that their friend can understand because they both gone through the same thing. It's, it's the fellowship, sort of like the fellowship of the widows who are struggling with something, but their friend who's also a widow is struggling with the same thing. It's the, it's the fellowship of those who have been through some of the same things you've been through. There's, there's a camaraderie and a fellowship. It's, it's why, and, and, and this real small this year, so you're only going to see it in seed form this year. So you got to have, you know, see where this is going. But it, it's the fellowship of getting believers together from some other churches, like what will happen next week. And next week's small. I think we've got about 65 folks registered from out of town that are coming for this. And this will grow in time. And when you add our church family, we'll have a great crew all week. I'm really excited about it. But somebody said it to me the other day when we were at the Preachers Conference in California. They said, it's amazing when you get a bunch of church folks together from different places to be able to sing praises to the Lord. People just sing out. I said, well, it's all those loud mouth preachers and the singing. He said, no, it's because there's a fellowship in the struggle and the suffering and the difficulty. It's the fellowship, and I don't want to go too far with this, but just think about it. It's the fellowship, right? Jeremiah of the plumbers, when you all get together and we can all resonate. It's the fellowship of the engineers, we're building a little fellowship of engineers around here at our church right now. You know, oh yeah, I did work through that and dealt with that. It's the it's the fellowship of the doctors, the fellowship of the construction workers, it's the fellowship of the moms and the fellowship of the grandmas. It's the fellowship of the people that have been through some of the same things you've been through. That's a little picture, I think, of what Paul was talking about when he talked about and the fellowship of his suffering. Helps us to understand better what Christ is like and what he's experienced. It's 
We need him or we'll never make it through. Because even your pastor that's standing up here trying somehow to be able to communicate this to you tonight almost lost it last night over the Facebook. So we definitely need the Lord's help if we're going to face anything challenging for the next few days. Let's pray and then let's divide up and pray together that the Lord would help us in this very important area of life. Think of James. Lord, we love you. We thank you. You are so weak. I was reminded of that once again so well last night. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are so strong. Lord, the struggles, the trials, the persecution, it is unbearable for us. We can't do this alone. Thank you for allowing difficulties in our lives to remind us that we need the Spirit's power, the presence, that we need the fellowship that comes with walking in truth and the Word of God. We need, yes, even the encouragement that comes from being part of the body of Christ. Even right here in this little church, Arise Baptist Church, Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness that you continue to demonstrate to us every day. Even when we tend to take our eyes off you and on the persecution or on the struggle or on the trial. Even when we get grumpy or discouraged or depressed and we forget what you did for us on the cross or we forget that we have an eternal home in heaven or that there are great rewards that you will give out someday. Lord, encourage us tonight. Be faithful no matter what comes. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God the Father. Lord, and he's there making intercession for us right now. Bless our time of prayer now in Jesus' name.